What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Deer Gear Podcast. In today's episode, I'm sitting down with Dorge from Fireknock to discuss the design of compound bows. We just recently did an episode all about the design of crossbows, and this came as a request to talk about compound bows, the design of the riser, the limbs, the cams, and what Dorge thinks is the most important factor to a modern day compound bow. You'll have to stick around throughout the episode to see what that is. I always really value Dorge's opinion on engineering. So anything that has to do with engineering and the way a compound bow is engineered, I take Dorge's ideas into consideration when I'm making a decision on whether or not I should purchase this bow. So we talk all about that. If you guys have any specific questions that you want to hear his takes on, please make sure you're letting me know and I will get that covered. I hope everyone out there is enjoying themselves for gun season. This is going to be the first Ohio gun season weekend. I'm sure there's going to be a ton of big deer falling with this cold front pushing through. So good luck to you guys if you're still out there holding tags. I still have an Ohio tag and a Pennsylvania tag to fill. So I'm going to be hitting it hard here throughout the rest of the season with that being said guys good luck to you and let's get into the podcast to hunt tried to hunt but nothing happens <laughs> <laughs> yeah you guys just got through the the illinois gun season out there and now it's time to time to pull the bow back out and good luck with that this time of year huh well actually the second gun season is going to start this weekend so today is what november 30th we're going to start gun season this thursday friday saturday sunday or, or, or wednesday or friday saturday sunday so it's going to be a little bit on the rough side, I think. Do you gun hunt? Nope. I don't even own a gun. I used to own a muscle loader. It, it, it's not a bad deal. I got a muscle, I got a, a black knife, full black, my, my black walnut design. And then I got a Fujin on, one of the bigger, bigger lens. Love that. Then I find out that I can pretty much shoot anything within 120 yards on the tree stand. And after the first gun, first muscle of the season, I think I haven't shot it yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so you're mostly an archery guy, so that's good for, for the conversation we're going to have today. So this was a requested topic. We did a podcast, we did two podcasts on crossbows and the design mm-hmm. of them. And some folks want to hear... Um, about the design of compound bows and what your thoughts are there. So today we're going to focus on compound bow design. That sound good to you? That sounds perfect. So let's start with kind of, let's go like through the history, like just like we did with crossbows and talk about uh, like the first compound bow designs and where we are now compared to there. Sure. I mean, uh, I remember, this is what I remember. The first compound bow design, pretty much your, your magnesium alloy casting, that's the how they first made. I mean, the, the old Browning, the Oneida, they are all basically your, your 
you have magnesium aluminum, or magnesium aluminum stain alloy casting, because that is really no low temperature casting and people work with it. You notice that they are reasonably bulky on the width because they are trying to control the torsion of the bow limbs. And then, uh, then of course, the, everybody use reasonably thin limbs. Angle of the limb is pretty high. Axle to axle is pretty high. Most of them are twin cam based system. I mean, the original, of course, is round wheels. Of course, uh, uh, I do have to give a lot of credit to the people from back then from the Bear. They eat, they make the first really good compound bow, the Delta V, and one of the more radical design like the Oneida. I think the Oneida is a really good design. The design on the geometry is sucked on execution. Way too many screws, way too many pulleys, and they did the absolute worst thing they could have. Uh, on the original design, even till now, they tried. They still try to put their control cable through the handle. Mm. Too much friction. So if you if you like that design, the only bow I will buy from them and from this whole process is the Pro Ego. It was designed correctly based on that design. Except back then, when every bow is four hundred bucks, that bow is a thousand five hundred. So imagine just like telling you today, if you buy a, a, a ordinary Matthew is 1500, this bow costs 4,500. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, might as well buy a crossbow. Right. Oh, uh, well, not really. I mean, crossbow, yeah, crossbow is about four grand now if you do it fully correctly. And then as, as bow goes on, I mean, some people move to uh, forge aluminum for a forge very short while, which I think is a great design. By the way, a few of the forge aluminum bow are really, really good. I mean, one of the best one I believe, I still believe is the Yamaha's. And most people don't even know that they make bows. I remember the days when Matthew was 400 bucks, a Yamaha uh, is about 700. Hmm. So you're talking a guy go way back and looking at stuff. But uh, I always think the Yamaha is so stable. Well, at the end of the day, the reason it's stable because the riser was machined. Hmm. And then uh, the times go on and finally we got the first company who which suits uh, shoot by Mile Care, and that was a machined riser. And I was really impressed with it because first time we ever got a limb pocket and uh, riser control that is truly straight and up to, up to performance. That was the Indian XI. It was also a twin, uh, a twin cam bow. Actually, that was the bow I killed my with my second deer and onwards. And the really? first time I feel like I have everything right. Because see, I was hunting it with an Oneida X80 and the Air Force for so many years. Because I always believe in engineering. I think they 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 take the time to do it, except I just refuse to believe somebody would be that uh I used to work stupid put the <laughs> cable in the handle. <laughs> because I figured that. If they done it, they must be right. So I keep on adding grease and wax inside the handle to smooth the cable. But then after everything said and done, it's stupid. Too much friction. It really, yeah, friction angles. I mean, it's like imagine you're trying to on a strict pipe. You go ahead and put four, put at least three angles in it. And I say, how come I got no? I got the water flow is not great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, then of course the cam designs. The cam designs get interesting. I mean, because the original round cam, and then of course, this is where so I'll go back to the same time we look at the Eastern arrow chart. You can see that on the same chart, on the same way, just for different cam, they add different speed to the cam, to the final bow speed. 
This is what I want to point out. Remember, we did that back in the 1980s. If they change the shape of the cam, they go ahead and add speed. What did that mean? Think about it. Just pick them one boat, well, round cam, and 70 pounds is 70 pounds. But on uh, on the cam boat, they go ahead at 10, 10 feet per second. On a speed cam, some of the super speed cam get up to 25 feet per second. So, but, oh no, oh, sorry. On the round boat, they use the same poundage. On the, on the, on the cam, they go to S5 pound. On the speed cam, they add 15 pounds. So the 70 pound boat behave like an 85 pound boat. And now we go ahead and our chart do not account for cam let off. Yeah. Come on. Let off, you see, a bigger deal than speed. Yeah, we found that out for sure. Right. So our, you really think about it. The, the moment, just like we bring back to the, all the old podcasts, which I think we really review that even more, because that is one of the most critical, your let off and your arrow size. Because they find out, because back then we only have the only common arrow back in the 1990s is the Beeman. And, and Beeman being a truly thin arrow, it really showed off. And I remember when I look at the thing, the Beeman uh, carbon flight is 45 to 70 pounds. Huh. <laughs> I'm just thinking of, I mean, yes, the arrow, the, what, what they're looking for is the arrow won't blow up. But that's not shooting. Yeah. That's the reason I have such a hard, I mean, I, I, I use, I use uh, some of the, back then I did try to use the Matthew, which, the single cambo is is great, great if it is brand new. But then we're looking at the older days. Now, of course, the, when Matthew comes with the single cam, I remember the feather like uh, all those are in some way is really different because it is the first really, really, really. Uh, it's a machine riser. That's the first thing. Second, it's a single cam because see, in the old days, as the I hope I didn't got this screwed up. As longer the table is, the slower the boat gets. Right. Yep. And then the uh, uh, longer the axle to axle, the faster the boat gets. Because your string angle is shallower. And then the, if the boat gets more forgiving, then you get better power. You'll have a At longer brace right there. Correct. Um, those boats are reasonable. I mean, I remember my Indian XI, the first one, of course. I go ahead and bought the three-inch overdraw. <laughs> yeah, I did every single mistake and every single thing that people shouldn't do. So I'm not just saying people shouldn't do that because I've done it and the result is not good. Right. <clears throat> so I think I, I I can tell from what the, the old people said, I tell from experience. <laughs> experience of screwing up on every one of them. Now, the, the reason I, I, a lot of people like the twin cam boat because at that time it's reasonably fast. But that was one problem. Do you know back in the 1980s and 90s, it's really bad for twin cam bows. You know why they are bad back then? Um, off, no, I don't. I mean, tuning, I could see like timing, timing issues maybe. Actually, they all lead to one thing, strings. Oh yeah, like a seven seven string set or no, uh, no no, it's only three strings. The problem is that at that moment, just like a lot of people had discovered, 
the moment you increase the performance, the length of the same strength change. If you've got twin cam ball in one of these cams, one of the cable stretch differently. Ah, yeah, okay, yeah. Your horizontal nut travels are all out. But the beauty of a twin cam ball is that you never have to deal with a horizontal nut travel, you only have to deal with vertical nut travel. Because one of you, if you want your cam is off, then your center will go up or down. That is where the reason that when Matthew come up with a single cam is such a big deal. Because see, they use engineering to take care of that, uh, that table stretch inefficiency, not in, in, in even, uneven cable stretch. But then when you really go into a single cam bowl, you know what the biggest issue of a single cam bowl is? You're going to one control cable. Let me tell you how, how, how bad it is, okay? If you've got a brand new Matthew bowl, say you bought it just like me, I bought it, I'll say on August, on, on August 15. I start shooting all the way to September. In September, I'm, I'm walking out of a bowl shop with the bowl at 71 pounds on the Q2. All twisted and ready to shoot. I didn't know any better. I shoot it all on October 15. I shoot at a buck at about 25 yards, but the air will go underneath the deer. Hmm. But I put it back to the bow shop. The bow is at 59 pounds oh, compared wow. to 71. Because see the control cable stretched 316 of an inch. Now, single cam have single cam bows, in my personal opinion, is one of the best and easiest to shoot bow bar none. Okay. Oh, sure. All those twin cam are. Actually, all this, one of the biggest improvement on compound bow besides the bow design is the string. Now, a lot of people, that, like so many of my friends will come up to me, oh, look at my, my, my DXT is 335 feet per second. And say, no, you do not got 300. No, that's what the bow said. I say, what's your draw length? 28. I've, I got the bow at 70 pounds. It got to 335. I say, how old is the bow? Two years. Have you changed the string? No. I put a corner and he shot the bow. 260. <laughs> You're about right. It's 255. Yeah. And then the funny thing is that I say, you know what? You got a single cam, the DXT. You need to start move. You need to change your cable and strings. You see, the Matthews are very good strings in some way. You just need to shoot the thing about 70 times and then you put everything back and then straight with string was stable. What it is you're using the shooting process to stretch the string to the point that it reasonably settled. Right. Can you shoot yeah. a string out? Uh, in the days with, when the days with uh, when you have Dacron, when you have uh, a little bit of these Dyneema stuff, not even Dyneema, we're talking, I mean, I don't need, they don't spoil the Vectran, I'm sure, sure they use Vectrans. Now, the moment when Dyneema comes out, that's where things change. I mean, I don't, I think the one of the first bowstring company is Winner's Choice. They really make a big deal because the moment I put it on, I find out how stable the thing is. I mean, I think some of you who are old enough to remember when you put a pip sight without that rubber band, you're never going to see anything. Right. <laughs> because you need that rubber band to pull the string straight and with a pip sight. But now, of course, I mean, when you talk about all the bows, I really think that the number one thing that have really changed and make compound bow the best is the string. I mean, when, when PSC come with the X-Force, 
that's where a lot of people recognize how important the string is. I have to give another, a lot of credit to ABB. They are the one who make the X4 strings and they get it right. I mean, strings are so important. I would say, if you talk strings with a bow, should be like talking tires to a race car. Right, yeah. They should you be changed off. They should be changed often. They should be maintained. And you need to know that they're in good shape or else you're not going to do anything. I mean, then in today's world, I'm just like I thought through the process. When I find out how important string is, I found out that how important is not fit to the string serving is even more critical on vertical bow. I mean, in the case of crossbow, if it's a railless, it is as critical because it is identical. There's no right. difference. But then, of course, with a crossbow, you're going to see every single problem exaggerate because the speed is that much more and power is that much more. Now, that said, if I had to buy a bow today, what bow would I buy to make myself absolutely feel great? And I know I don't have to worry for the next two or three years. I personally think that when, when you look at it, a twin cam a twin cam bow is not really ideal, in my opinion, because most guys don't know what they're doing. And twin cam means that you have extra cam. And now in some of the game bow today, it's not two cables, not three cables, but five cables. Right. Not five strings and cables. Yeah. So with all the bows that said, I mean, I think the single cam bows are one of the best design. The only problem with them, as I said again, is the string. How good the string do we have? I mean, the string we have today is unbelievable. But at the same time, we also know we have a minor issue with the string material. Yeah. I think with the next two or three years, people will recognize when they really, really, really start digging into it and try to find performance, they're going to look at the string material again. So in the what? construction... Why do you think bow manufacturers, Matthew specifically, went away from the solo cam? Is it speed? Yes, solo cam will never get the speed. They can push the speed, but you know, then they need size specific cams. I mean, just like if you look at speed, if you really want speed, PSE did a lot of work. I mean, look at the PSE full throttle was one of the best cam design. But don't try to shoot a 70 pound. You're going to hate yourself. Yeah, shoot it's just aggressive. Yeah. It's too aggressive. And so you, you know with the poundage, you get the aggressiveness without putting the power, be, without you physically put the labor behind it, which you hurt your shoulder. So you can see that. And, 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 and as the size of the riser, I mean, right now, everybody use so-called machine riser. A full machine riser, you can't afford it. I mean, there's a new few, a few of the truly full machine riser. I mean, the Matthew Safari is a true from top to bottom machine riser. Reverie riser means you might a CNC, full CNC riser means that you've got a piece of ballot, aluminum, and you machine it out to form it this. Now, when you talk about, let me finish the cam side and then we'll go to other area. We'll talk about string first. So technically, the moment you get the string stability, the, the now we're talking your mechanical advantage on cam and riser design. Because at the end of the day, it's like, I'll go back to racing on cars again. You've got good tires, right? Then you've got good suspension. Because without that, you can't turn corners. And finally, you're going to need good frame. Because without that, it just bends. Now, I would say your cam is like your engine and transmission. 
the moment it's not well tuned, it doesn't work. It's not well, if it's heavy, it doesn't work. Your limbs, now this is part that is really interesting. Now cam itself, I mean, that's not a really, I mean, most of the cam designs are all like your Rex, Rex Darlington from Darton. I mean, you go from the cam and a half, which Coit have used it for a long chunk of time since the tech riser, which I think is that the tech system on a cam and a half, that whole system is great. I mean, I remember the first days I when they come out, I dropped, I dropped Matthew and then go straight to their original. I bought the Razor Tech, the Laser Tech, the V Tech, I mean the whole deal. <laughs> Loftable. Still think they're too heavy. And I, I mentioned the Triax riser, the, the way they handle the limb pocket. As a matter of fact, at this moment, I think the best limb pocket design in the approach is I think the Hoya got a good one since the Triax. The one that interlocked together with a wide platform. I'm not too fond of the new ones. Well, I mean, that's me. But from a pure engineering standpoint, I don't think it's good because it got too much of a pivot rock. But then I think PSE did a pretty good job. But that riser is based on their approach. Actually, all that research was done based on the original tree stand, X Force. Now, the, the more string you got, the more complicated it gets. Yes, you may get some minor efficiency. The more material you got, you, the higher the moving mass, the slower the speed. That pretty much is the bottom line. If you want, you want to buy the most common, most lightweight, simple design rims with the good set of tires, you always get the best performance. I mean, you can go crazy in size. I mean, some of the new cam are just ginormous. They give you a 33 XO to XO, but you look at the string part, you add two inch on both sides. That's not a lot of 33 XO to XO, that's a 37. Yes, yeah, <laughs> you just You just do it on the cam. You don't yeah. do it on the XO. I mean, it's like people say, oh, I, I, got, a, I, I got some big ginormous wheels, but you still got a coupe. Sorry, I can't help that. <laughs> I'm a, you know, some deep down, I'm still a car guy. <laughs> yes, I like three things car, archery, and fishing. <laughs> can't, oh, and bicycle too. That and what things can't get. <laughs> in what order? Oh, fishing is number one. I knew it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look at me, I think I got about easily $70,000 worth fishing tackle. <laughs> I know I'm sometimes still thinking, well, why do I buy $8,000 fishing rod without blinking an eye? But I did. <laughs> well, don't talk about that. You just got we can top five days on, on one of the fishing rod design and then we won't stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go back to the, uh, to, to, the, uh, to, the, to the limbs. Oh, this is another part. In my personal opinion, one of the best limbs is at this moment in the industry, if you want to get the best limbs, Despite some of the newer design, I think Hoy have the best limbs. When they come with the uh, with the design with the foam between the carb with between the carbon uh, between the uh, aluminium uh, uh, the, the the fiberglass, I think they fundamentally fully understand what limbs do. I mean, a lot of people try to go other limbs, but let, let let's talk about what limbs do. You see, most of the guys in the old days, they always want for manufacturing process, it's hard to be single limb because it's simple. You've got a piece of fiberglass, you machine it some way and get it done. 
Now, if you look at a pure engineering way, the best fiberglass limbs based on pure design is made by Bayer. What they did is that, is that they, they, they got a fiberglass mold and they mold, they test the entire front to back fiberglass in one shot. So the entire limb is, all the fiber in it is not broken. They do it from front to back. And that whole process, I mean, if you understand fiberglass, understand fiber, and they also compress the midsection where the power is needed flatter, wider. That's extremely smart. Because at that moment, you need the fiber to work but not break them. And the worst thing you can do is machine the shit out of it. And then all the fibers are cut. You're relying on the fiber that would cut and the resin to hold it together. And you notice like, like even like uh, uh, the reason that Hoyt at the end of the limbs got uh, you know, the screw that holds the limb together? Because they understand if you don't do that, the limbs will split. That's the reason the barrel nut and screws are so important to hold the limbs together. Because as you increase the thickness of the limb, when you bend it, the force on the top of the limb is, is splitting away and the force underneath is pushing back. And the thicker you got on the limb, the worse it gets. And, you, and a lot of people understand on fiberglass, uh, on any limbs, the shorter the limb, the more power you got, the more consistent you're out of it because the longer the limb, the more inconsistent you can build into it. And which is the reason when Hoyt did all the, the multi-layer with foam in it, it did a really good job. There's a lot of engineering work going into that limb. I give them a lot of credit. It was well-built. It's worth the money. Uh, but most people don't want to spend that kind of money. That's the reason on the Hoyt target bow, their limbs are really bond on the best. I mean, did, did Carbon Tech did a pretty good job? I think so. Carbon Tech is actually out of Korea and they did a really good job by changing some, some of the quote unquote, uh, carbon fiber to carbon, I mean, some of the uh, fiberglass to carbon fiber. And if anybody think out there that fiberglass is better than carbon fiber, the only thing is that if they didn't, do, didn't get it right because they didn't understand the material. I mean, it's like, you claiming that two fishing rod identical design for a specific purpose, one is better than others. That statement is absolutely true. That means if you want to fish with a big crankbait, you do not want a carbon fiber rod. You want a fiberglass. Yes, I did say it, fiberglass. But then if you want performance and power, you can't put fiberglass on it. It's, you, you're gonna lose just on weight. But you need to think about it. The, the, the limb itself is nothing more than a storage, an energy storage device. You need to be repeatable and consistent. Well, we know that. I mean, just like in today's world, they, you're asking yourself this question. Can we build carbon fiber springs over steel springs? Yes, Covet did it. It was a beautiful design. The only problem is cost. At this moment, I really think with the way the bow is going, nobody should worry about cost. Because at the end of the day, how, how expensive is a current compound bona? Fully decked out. Walk oh, out with a brand new, say, 2000, 2023 phase four with everything on it. 2,500 bucks. 
without arrows, without a sight. <laughs> Think about it. The the just the re the rest itself is what two three hundred bucks, if yep. not more, and the sight is five six hundred bucks. We're talking. Uh, I mean, I remember the days of uh, a shrew or uh, or a sword. Target site is barely six. Now, pretty much a basic hunting site is same price. To be fair, are you? I just go the opposite. Maybe I'm too old to, to, to appreciate the newer design. I would go with original trophy taker top pin, three pin any day. Because put a titanium kit on that trophy taker top pin, I got a sight that's less than three ounces. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, unless you've got a really nice tree stand that you can go in and hook, put that on the hook. And if you like me, walk and hunt and stalk, the way is your enemy. Trust me. Right. Especially <laughs> when, you, when you get close, when you're in your 60s, you really would appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Let's get back to the limb design. So what did I just say? What I'm saying that based on the current material, assuming that everybody still want to stick with fiberglass, okay? The best way to get the performance out of it is to increase the width of the plank. That means your limb has to be as wide as possible. And unfortunately, a lot of people may not remember this and I'll point out. In the old days, everybody got single limb and somebody said that they would never do anything but single limb. But at the end of the day, if you want performance, a twin limb is the only way to go. But twin limb means double the cost, means a ton of matching. Yes, matching. Because two limb, when you have two limbs, you just need to match the upper and lower limb. Because if you don't match it right, you, you will lose your vertical not travel. Now you've got four limbs. If you don't match it correctly, you got horizontal and vertical not travel. I mean, I own one of the patterns on a multi-limb design on tubeless. My original design is that I got four tubes on top and four tubes underneath it. So you got eight tubes to deal with. And my improved design is six tube on top and six tube below. Those are one of the patterns I have. I mean, anybody interested, you can check it out. It is on USPTO. What's the problem with that design? You have all of them to match. Right. But the reason that my, the original, the reason that this design worked, because the moment when we make limbs today, the limbs are not ideally made. I mean, I don't know what Hoyt did, but they did a really good job. I mean, like the, today, you look at every single limb underneath it, there's always numbers. Those are based on the, I mean, just like anybody with good fishing rod know, when you want to match a set of rods and try to put back originally, you need to do the entire force curve match, not final match. Unfortunately, like most company out there, like Matthew, Darton, Ex Expedition, and so on, they are all for final force match. That means when you put that force in, you put the bow down at this moment. Okay, this is say. This limb will give you something like a 37 and a quarter pound. Next one, you were 37 and 37.6 pound. So that's what they're matching based mm -hmm. on at the distance on the clam, how much force you got and when you put it down. That's not really ideal in my opinion. You need to sectional match on force. I think that's what Hoy did. I don't have confirmation on it. 
But when you do sectional force curve match, that means the entire bending process of the bow is matched. How do you overcome it? Well, the shorter the limbs, the less you need to match because the less it be, be you have difference. Yeah. The more you bend it, you're using the, the portion that you, you, you normally use. That's where the X-Force comes out. The X-Force is a pre-stretched, it's a pre-compressed limb. You're using the last section of the bending. So the matching is less and the performance higher because you're using the more efficient bend of the curve. But then you're also stretching the limb because unlike the old days, the limbs are never, ever, ever relaxed. Yeah, they're always under I mean, tension. Correct. And they are under extreme tension. I mean, one of the extreme of, I mean, the, the design of this, I think, if I remember correctly, the first chunk that comes out of it was Botac and X-Force was the extreme case of it, which now the RX, the, the RX from Hoyt is pretty much follow that. What does that mean? If you don't have the right pro press, don't touch those. <laughs> yeah, right. And then, of course, Matthew did a really good job on those... Uh, simple limb tips, because with that, the chance of the limb popping out is close to zero. With the Hoyt, you need a whole new attachment. I remember when Hoyt come with that, you need a whole new attachment for your, uh, for your for bow press, or else you can't even press that bow, because the bow will jump on you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did that once on a Defiant. <laughs> Scared the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> now, what, what is the benefit of doing all those? You try to get speed out of it. You try to get the cost down to it. As you as time goes on, you people you find out you really can get cannot get with, away with the basic basic principles and how material science works. Now you think about it from for the for PSC, which is one of the more I mean, they got a few very good engineers there who are triple engineers and they've done it for years and they have seen how it works. I mean, Sam is one of the good guys I know. You move it, they say original, most of the bows are about two to two and a half inch wide. Then they jump to X-Force, that bow become two and three, uh, 2.75, 2.75 inch XO width length. Then in order to get performance, they move to three inches. That's on 2021. In 2022, they moved all the way to 3.25 inches. Yes, it, it is, that is a significant efficiency gain by width. Will that hit diminishing return? I think somewhere when and you decrease the limb thickness and increase the limb width, you also decrease the durability of the limb. When I say durability, it's not, the, it's not like how much you shoot it. It's that when you drop the ball, the limb is easy to crack. When you press the bow wrong, it is easier to, it's easier to last years to crack. Sure. The worst one to one to crack is that when your limb is thick and you push that to the limit, those are the worst. I mean, one of the, one of the example you get is the PSEBs. Because if you do not back off the limb, limb bow two or three times you put on the press, I will guarantee that sucker will crack. Really? Mm-hmm. Because see, the, you are pushing the, the, the maximum bend of the bow already. And the moment, the moment you press it, because the, it was, it's beyond parallel. So the moment you don't relax it, you're forcing on the limb pocket. The limb is, the limb is gonna crack from that limb pocket, from that bar, right there. It's gonna crack right there. Because it's like you're trying to wedge a rock 
and you keep forcing it when the when when the when the pole is setting, I'm gonna break. And you say, just give me a little bit more. Well, that's what I'm I'm broken. <laughs> <laughs> so, so on the mm-hmm. on the lim- on the limb design, you're mm-hmm. talking about uh wider is better for performance and wider and thinner. Yep, wider and thinner and um more durable. And mm-hmm. then Matthews comes out with the phase four with eight limbs that are mini limbs. What's mm-hmm. your thought? What What are your thoughts there? Well, actually, there's two ways to think about it. One of them, just like the way I designed my tubular limbs pattern design. The more limbs you got, the, the another way you try to use it to even out things. Unless you've got a really good approach and a, a, the sorting process can be less. But then, I mean, this whole process, I think a company, LimSaver, did that back in 2009. It did a really good job. What it did is that it, it because it was trying to do is a proton ball. I look at a proton ball and say, hmm, this take care of all the problems that added a whole new chunk, didn't it? Because they have no limb pockets. The limb is now controlled by a pin in the front. So the limb pocket anchoring is no longer an issue because it's anchored on a pin. And then use the pivot to increase or decrease the limb of the bow. But then what they discover, they have a hell of a time to get the left limb talk to the right limb in the same way. What did they do? <laughs> uh, Steve and then Gary, such a such, such smart engineer, they go ahead and say, they are not balanced. So how can you make them balanced? <laughs> they do the most put force and brilliant approach. They clam it together <laughs> using my uh, using the design is called the broadband. So they clam the two limbs together right next to the, the 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 cam. What did they do? They force them to work together. That's it. I mean, one of the one of the most stupid things. Sorry, I have to say, one of the most stupid thing people do when they put limbs together is put a piece of rubber and split between the limbs. What do you do? You put external force away for the limbs. And if they are not working with each other, you give them more reason to not work with each other. Sure, yeah. So what's the reason to put freaking, I'll say limb saver, split limb bump right between the limbs? Yes, you lower the, you lower the sound of the limb, but you, you give the limbs more reason to not work together. Sure. Now the matching of the limbs is even more critical. That's the reason some of the guys who come to me say, oh my God, Dodge, this, this bow don't shoot right. You should break before. And just so you know, just like everything, like springs, if you put enough force, the material fatigue will kick in. And guess what? You just did that. And if you go ahead and put a set of broadband, yes, the broadband was a really good design, except when I first looked at it, I said, wait a minute. I mean, Steve is a great, great engineer, but he got accountants. <laughs> <laughs> They put the cheaper screw, heavier stuff in them inside the broadband. Yeah. The moment you change all those heavy stuff in it, if I have them, if I'm a, if I'm no, if I have unlimited budget, I will put aluminum screws. But most people don't understand aluminum screws are two to three times the price of titanium. Mm, wow. Yeah, because when you deal with a nine thousand series like Dura aluminum, aluminum is one fifth the weight of steel. Like with the, the episode we talk about material science. 
but in order to make aluminum great, you need to put a lot of effort in it. Anybody into bicycles will tell you. Titanium is not bad. Aluminum is better, but you can't afford it. That's about it. I mean, not that you can't, but most people look at the price, they would just like balk at it. Right. I mean, it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll bring something back from bicycle. A normal steel chain ring is about maybe 40 bucks. A Shimano Dura Ace, which is Dura Aluminium, is 600 bucks. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a gigantic <laughs> difference. Yes, but you drop the weight by one, you drop the weight by, by 500%. So imagine if you got something that is like 20 ounces, now you're four. Yeah. <laughs> In racing, weight is everything. You're right. I mean, I remember the time I built some uh, lug nuts for the race guys. Yeah, they told me the car after I changed all, uh, all, all, all 36 lug nuts, it's not you say, say, look, 24 lug nuts, it's six per car. He told me his car behaved like you got for 30 more horsepower. You, I mean, can you imagine telling somebody you give them 40 horses, they'll kill you for it. They'll kill something for it. Yeah. Because in, in, in top racing, you look for every single advantage and that's an advantage, a big advantage. So it's, what happened, you have more limbs. The more limbs, that means you can even out the unevenness because you're playing with average. So if you have four limbs and one of them is not good, do you really feel it? I don't think you get that good. So it's a good way of trying to even out the unevenness. Because it, uh, this is another thing. As you increase the width of the limb, what are you dealing with? And remember, I told you that one of the best limb fiberglass approach is to use a single piece molding, right? So if you use a single piece molding, how do you guarantee all the fiber is from front to back and nothing left and right? If they have left and right, the limb will doing, start doing what? The limb will start twisting left and right. You get twisting, isn't it? You got torsion. So what happens if you break in half? You break the torsion, isn't it? That's the reason you're trying to control as you increase the width of the limb, you're increasing, you're giving the possibility of increasing torsion. More torsion. So by splitting in half, what did you just did? It can't talk. Yeah. There's no width. Right. Which come back to my original, my, my, my design pattern on using multiple tubes. Because see, as we, as anybody who know making stuff, when you make planks, when you bend the plank, the plank has the tendency to do left and right. But the moment you cut the plank in half, the left and right disappeared. Yeah. Well, what do we got? Phase four. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't think of that. Well, I mean, you're not an engineer yet. Yeah. <laughs> Go to school and get yourself eight credit hours on structural engineering. This is immediately in front of you because there's no way out of it. Right. I mean, those are all in basic classes, but except people, most people take the classic exam, they never apply it. That's the reason I'll just say the difference between a good engineer and a so-called engineer is the ability to learn what they apply, apply what they learned. And a lot of people can't explain that, which I'm very privileged that, my, that I got, I'm one of the few guys who actually learn, retain and understand. I'm old enough. I don't have to push at anybody anymore. <laughs> so if you don't like what I said, 
you always can check that out. I mean, if you are, if you went to school, you will understand because you can lie to this stuff. Right. <laughs> you cannot. <laughs> so what problems do you foresee with that limb design with the, the phase four? Well, first of all, you got, you got now four limbs to anchor. You also got limb between limb and limb. How are you going to control them? So you can use tongue and groove and so on and to control each of them. And I still think that one of the, of course, you can't use a limb saver broad band on it. You need to design something that will cram all four together. I think somebody, I think that if I'm Steve Sim, that would be the first thing I make. Might make a lot, make a side limb and clamp the all four limbs together and you solve 90% of your problems immediately. Sure. Make it thin and tight and just clamp it together. Problem goes away. What Especially about- with 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 the with the, uh, with the stuff, which is the vibrational dampening. Then, because you from limb to limb, when you when you clamp them, when, when you shoot them, the limbs will have internal vibration, just like multiple sets of shocks, because they are. Yeah. So when you when you tie them together with the top and bottom, the midsection is where the problem is, because we are not vertically, we are sideways, is where the portion portion is. What about um, <clears throat> what about the rubber? in between the two limbs that for durability um no the, the, the rubber design is a uh, rubber design is a very known science as long as they pick the right thing that should not be an issue the so number one problem one problem problem with rubber is that on the old days of rubber tires are uh, or, or, i mean just remember the rubber design if you find a good engineer under some rubber like your Pirelli, your goodyear your michelin all of them are superb rubber engineer and they don't make just that they make O-rings. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> they they I mean that would never be a problem. In some cases, that's where you can put all your effort into make that work exactly. Okay. That was one of the um just like you hear the talk is everyone's worried about the rubber and extreme temperatures. If it's really hot or if it's really cold and the rubber breaking down. And um a lot of people were thinking that this is like Matthew's way of making people replace their limbs because to get more money well they've done that for a long time i mean though as i say one of the best limbs out there is the hoyt i mean the other limbs you know some of the guys i mean when psc come with x-force most people think that limb is going to break in less than two years i got some guys still shooting at psc x-force tree stand that come out what 2002 wow that's, that's 20 years already they yeah. are still very good. All so, right. I mean, first of all, how often are you standing under the sun with your bow? Well, it depends. I mean, if you're hunting in September. Yeah. I, I'm saying how, 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 how often are you? Uh, me? I hunt in September every year. I know. You don't do that 90 days. No, no, no. You may get, you may get 30 days. Then what yeah, do you do with 10? I would say if you really are that concerned, then you should do the same thing that people do with tires. Get some armor ores, hold the rubber, they won't crack. It's very simple. I mean, you're dealing with the same material based on the same principle. Right. You want them to bend with each other and not crack. So what do you do with plastic? You don't want to crack when under the sun? Ammo. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, just like you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, your arrows are squeaking on the on the arrow on the in your air rest go and get yourself some canuba wax 
like uh, uh, like the uh, turtle wax ice packs. Wax your arrow, buff it. It will be the most water resistant acquired arrow you ever seen, especially if it's carbon. I mean, a lot of problem is already solved. People just forgot they solved it in other areas. They just right. going to reuse what they did. Just not applying it in the same in archery. Correct. It's not applying it. I mean, just because it's archery, do not make it different. It's the same shit. Sorry. Same. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm old enough. I'm allowed to say things. Like <laughs> so I want to do another one of these and talk all about um, riser design, but I don't think we'll have enough time. No, I can, I can finish. That's pretty easy. Okay. On, 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 I will talk about the riser on the material science side because we can do that in less than 15 minutes. Okay. See, as I say, the original is magnesium riser. It is, you had used a lot of width and weight to get it. Just like the original, your, 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 uh, your Darton, your Jenning, your Bear, or your Oneidas. Then, of course, we moved to machine aluminum. And then the, for, for as far as machining and also material use and design, I think so far the best machine riser ever, bar none, was made by Expedition all the way to 2017. That's where they moved to other places. Those machine risers are just, machine is just beautiful. The engineer know what they're doing. And if you look at the older Matthew Bowes, they are basically your extrude the aluminum machined a little bit. Are they bad? No, they're not. But if you compare on the best material use on the aluminum side, I think Hoyt did a decent job because of the structural design. But for applying science, nothing beats G5. That, that 7,000 series aluminum, if you notice it, that's a 300% increase. It's 82% strength of stainless with one-fifth the weight. They did a really good job. I mean, it's not that, I mean, most people don't want to work with it because in the old days, 7,000 aluminum compared to your 60, 61, that's about 200 to 300 difference in price. But now they are pretty much identical, which make it, I ask yourself, why would you not use it? Because it's more difficult to work with. Your, your, your machine cooling need to be better. Your material, your machine tip cooling and your speed of CNC control has to be better. That's an absolute. Can you use even higher material? Absolutely. If you got a chance to use the, the Dura aluminum block and machine it, God, God, you'll be the best. You, you'll be the pants of carbon. <laughs> but then carbon is not carbon. You know, this is the part that a lot of people don't understand. I mean, just like, just be pushing with carbon to one, a bicycle and a, and a like Crestel, which make the entire one piece motor carbon. That's what the approach that PSE use. That's the reason I think the PSE original, like a bridge riser, that I, I remember that the, when, when uh, Anna Racer was testing that, even with the full throttle cam, a 70 pound full draw, the riser movement on the tip of the riser is less than one thousandth of an inch. Wow. Most other bow, in the case of uh, in the case of Hoy, is close to four to five thousand, if I remember that's what he told me. And in case of other bows, which are very common, they can be up to twenty thousands. Now, if you look at some of the video that come out from G5, if you load it, the one of the worst riser on structure-wise, on structural strength, 
with the indeed material. It's basically your cast aluminum. But you know, you, just because a riser is soft, do not mean it's bad. You can de you can engineer it. just like you can put a plastic step compared to a, say aluminum step or a steel step. You engineer based on the material. So saying one material is better than the others is absolutely wrong. You're saying one material is engineered based on its design is wrong, is correct. I mean, you notice that, that's the reason that you notice Matthew increased the, the width of the riser significantly as time goes on because they recognize how much they cannot, the, the older design, I mean, especially like the, the reason, the last single cambo they have, the riser was really having a beating on it. They were trying to make a long riser, but it doesn't hold. The only way they can make it is to make the riser wider. And as you increase the width of the riser, you increase the weight. So what do you do? You take the middle section off. Now you become a cage. Sure. And look at it. Matthew did it. Uh, Elite did it. Everybody pretty much do it. Is that a good approach, in my personal opinion? From an engineering point of view, it's a solution to a problem. But I think the better approach is, I always believe material science is better approach for engineering because you change the basic fundamental rules, just like, just like silicon. I mean, the moment when you hit the end of Moore's law, you need to move a different material. You move from silicon and you move to either a carbon or other materials. And I think people got stuck to the current material, just like we make a big jump from magnesium, magnesium alloy and move into say machine aluminum. I think very shortly people recognize machine aluminum have a limit. Did some company do fantastic? I think PSC did a great job because he went, when the, uh, just like uh, my favorite two cam bowl is the PSE Decree HD with the titanium kit on it. It's actually lighter and better than a carbon. Hmm. Because at that moment, the carbon is the first come out. It's not mature. Just like the third carbon from PSE, I think that was the best. And then as you start moving on like this year, I mean, yeah, some people like aluminum because it's so much easier to work with and that's what they have. Just like, you know, I, I, I give PSE a lot of credit for taking the, the guts to move from aluminum into carbon because it's a whole new ball game. Right. You're talking new mode, new approach, new problems. I mean, they have a lot of problem with the first one. Like they can't get the bubbles out of it. They, they had to paint it because they see the, 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 the final coating separation and so on. That's a lot of time, with, a lot of problem when you move to one material to the other. But then what are the benefits? You, you're gonna screw up, but you're gonna learn. And when you learn that, you find out that, wow, like there's so much more you can do. I mean, in my opinion, I mean, like Hoyt did multiples. They got aluminum, it's called a, a carbon fiber deposit approach towards aluminum with carbon fiber in it. Is it a strong piece? Absolutely. Well, I think the aesthetically is not the greatest. I still think that original Dalton have some fantastic approach to it, but they didn't go for it. The bow is not sexy. I mean, just like my best conversation with Professor Sailing, he's saying you can build the best airplane, most aerodynamic. But if it's not sexy looking, people won't buy it. And then you have nothing. <laughs> That's true. It's a shame, but it's I mean, true. Yeah, because it's just like sports cars. Some of them may not be to drive. I mean, just like if today I design a Honda a Honda Civic with a, with a new shell, 
I think I would sell more than Ferrari, but I won't make as much money as a Honda, but I would sell more. <laughs> so shape and appeal is critical. And I think Darton did not do a good job on it. So I think, I mean, for engineering wise, I think that pretty much set much the entire boat history and engineering. I mean, I know I dabble on a lot of things, but until somebody got specific questions, I mean, I can dive into it as deep as you want, but until I know what you want to hear, I can go into an area that will bore you. Yeah, sure. Well, if anyone listening here has any questions specifically on bow designs, maybe you're interested in a specific bow and are curious what George's thoughts on the engineering behind it, uh, fire away. Our emails are always linked in the podcast descriptions. Uh, George, Before, go ahead. I think that the final thought is that if you want to improve your boat, whatever boat you got, just like cars, can you imagine if you got steel rims and you got aluminum rims, what kind of improvement you think you get? Oh, if you got aluminum rims, now you got magnesium and carbon fiber rims. What performance you got? You know what's the theory behind it? Moving mass. So if you got a bow, what are the things you can do? Decrease the mass of the moving. In other words, your cam, your XO, if you can decrease the weight of whatever that is, you instantly increase speed, you increase performance, no doubt. Sure. So if anybody tell you changing the cam XO from steel to say titanium, do not make any difference. You either don't understand physics or you just don't understand. <laughs> but that's okay. I understand. As, as I always tell my wife, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. We, that's why we have you. <laughs> well, if uh, you got, like I said, if you guys have any questions for us, make sure you are shooting us an email or get a hold of me on Instagram. And I will forward on any questions to the man himself. And until next time, we'll talk to you.